Hey, thanks for joining us. You're listening to Living Fountains with Pastor Jim Stewart of Calvary Chapel, Kansas City. Today, our study is in the book of 2 Corinthians. If you're in a place where you can grab your Bible and follow along with us, we invite you to do so. And if you'd like more information on Living Fountains or Calvary Chapel, Kansas City, you can visit our website at calvarychapelkc.com. Now, let's join Pastor Jim for today's study. So growing up in a little bit different part of the country and then kind of just sitting straight up in bed uh, last evening, it really brought this scripture into mind as we are living out these days and right now. Mark's Gospel, chapter 13 says, But when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be troubled, for such things must happen. The end is not yet, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be earthquakes in various places, even in Oklahoma, amazingly enough. Uh, and there will be famines and troubles, and these are the beginnings of sorrows. You wonder. You can't help but wonder as a believer if there isn't something stirring, something's going on. The Bible says that the earth groans wanting to be put back in its proper condition, you know, just wanting to be restored to their original design that God created. We get so set on so many different things going on around us that, you know, with our workaday world and our, our marriages and our families and our friendships and our extended families and, and all the things, and especially this time of year when all the busyness starts really kicking in from here on out, it's just pedal to the floor, I know. But I like having those little subtle 5.6 reminders uh, uh, that, you know, God's on the throne and there's a stirring. There's something going on. And I'm excited about that. This morning, out of 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we'll pick it up in verse 11 this morning. So you might locate that. But and as I think about that, the Lord's desire, if in fact we are, which I believe we are, living in those last days, what manner of life would God desire us to have? What, what would be reflective of a life set apart to the Lord? And so I kind of was thinking, I'm going to read a couple of scriptures. I'll cite them for you so you know that I'm not reading them out of anything other than the Bible. But uh, we'll get to uh, 2 Corinthians in just a moment. But I've been thinking about this idea of, of what does that look like to be followers of God and, and what, what manner of life would the Lord desire for us? Because uh, he wants us to be his people. The Bible declares that we are a peculiar people. We're uh, a unique people. We're designed by God to maybe not fit exactly into the rest of the world. We are called out from among this world, and, and yet we still live here. So it's not necessarily our clothing that sets us apart. It's not necessarily our haircuts or lack thereof that, but it's more or less really just who we are as believers, and certainly that love is to be the marking on our lives that really identifies us as Christians, and we'll talk about that as we get into things this morning. I think we're going to see love worked out and kind of displayed for us in the things that we learn this morning. In Romans chapter 12, I'm just going to read a couple things to you, and then we'll get right into uh, 2 Corinthians Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, and everything else that he's been stated in Romans until this point is pointing to God's grace, that, that goodness of God that God's displayed, unmerited love and favor for you and for me. Though we do deserve eternal punishment in hell, God's given us his grace instead. He's been merciful, not giving us what we deserve, but instead been gracious, giving us unmerited love and favor toward each one of us. 
I beseech you, therefore, based on that, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I would cite and note for you, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I think that's kind of something that we want to hinge this message on a little bit, to think through, to understand that we want to be really transformed by the renewing of our mind. And the way that happens, really, is that I am in agreement with God. Because I can't always change my heart. I can change my mind about matters. And God could change my mind, but he won't because then he'd be forcing himself upon me. So he's not going to force himself upon me or upon you to change my mind. But if I change my mind, even though I can't change my heart sometimes, most times, I can't fix that. I can't change my heart about something. But if I change my mind about things, God will change my heart. In other words, if I agree with God and I pursue God, God, in agreement with him, will then ultimately change my heart to conform to who he is by the renewing of my mind. My life, your life, our lives as believers become transformed. And so it's a powerful truth. It's a biblical truth. We want to have that mind of Christ within us, that changed life. And do not be conformed to this world. I think that's part of what we're hinged on today. Don't be conformed or don't allow the pressures of our world around us to push us and to mold us and to shape us. We ought to be those that are different. We are different. And I think we've got to accept that we're different living in this world. We're not going to function like the rest of the world. We ought not to function like the rest of the world. But there's a lot of pressure to do that. One of the reasons I've been bringing in, and and I go back to this from time to time, we've been bringing in the guest speakers like we have once a month for a while. How long we'll do this, I don't know, but we're doing it now. So, you know, we're, we're bringing in these different guest speakers. I'm real excited. Laura's got a great message to share with you about her changed life and what, and I think it's great. Over 50% of our congregation is, is ladies. So I'm real excited that we're going to be able to have a lady come and share, you know, what God's done in her life. And I know many of you ladies have had radical transformations. God's done unique and wonderful things in your lives. And though you may not identify with breaking the land speed record on the salt flats going 198 miles an hour, you may be on some kind of motorcycle device, but you're going to identify with other issues in her life. And all of us do. Uh, whatever it might be, there's, she had a vast uh, backdrop, and so there's a lot of identification that we'll all have. But the idea is, is that we don't want to be conformed to this world. Everywhere you and I go, keep it to yourself, keep it to yourselves. But everything inside of that's contrary to good news. That's contrary to the anecdote. That's contrary to the hope that we have in everlasting life that we could actually share with anybody and everybody, right? That's contrary. And so by bringing in some of these people, I do not care about their celebrity if they have any. It means nothing to me. It means nothing to God. God is not a respecter of persons. So that, I'm not hung up on any of that. I don't care about that. But what I do care about is the identification with these unique different individuals that we get to bring in. One, we get to see them. And the other thing is, is I'm hoping that it starts to stir within us. They've gone on record, haven't they? It's all over the internet. 
all over the world. They've gone on record that they are followers of Jesus Christ and that God has changed their lives. And I think it's about high time Christians all over the world go on record. And I think it's time we go on record that way as being believers and followers of Jesus Christ and share that testimony that you have wherever you've been, whatever God's done in your life, how God changed you. That's all, that's my hope, is that we're seeing people that are boldly coming out and saying, no, this is what God's done. And I'm hoping it's empowering to you as a Christian, that it's encouraging to you as a follower of Jesus Christ, that we have brothers and sisters in all different walks of lives doing the same thing that we can do by sharing our faith with others around us. It's that simple. It's not complicated. That's the vision that God put on my heart regarding this just to inspire and encourage us because I think we need it. We're living in a world that's just pushing us back, pushing us back, marginalizing what you and I have in the hope of Jesus Christ. So today, as we kind of talk about this, the significance of this, we don't want to be conformed to this world's vantage point of us, but we want to be transformed. And we're going to talk about that and some very interesting things. I want to read one more thing out of Romans goes a little bit further. That was uh, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. This is chapter 13, beginning in verse 11. And do this, knowing the time is now at hand. It is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. We're going to be in in his presence. Every day that goes by, we're one day closer to being in his presence. Whether the Lord comes back for us or we go to be with him, through leaving this tent. Either way, right, we're getting closer and closer to the destination. The night is far spent. The day is at hand, for sure. A lot of us spent plenty of time in the darkness. The night is far spent. We spent time there. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. So it's twofold. Getting rid of something, putting on something. Taking something off, putting something on. Very graphic, very clear for us to understand. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, nor in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Well, let's continue. Let's get over now to, to uh, first, or 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And we'll just wrap up chapter 6 this morning. That's all we really have time for. We'll take communion in a, a little bit as we close out our service later today. And so I, I wanted to get that, set that stage, though, that don't be conformed. Let's not be conformed. Let's not allow ourselves to be pressured by the world around us to conform to the world. But let's be transformed. Let's, let's accept that the night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let's accept that we need to put on this, this new life in Jesus Christ. Very graphically for us, shown to us here in verse 11 through 18 of 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm going to read through this all the way through and then we're going to go back and break it down. Because we'll just kind of get a good idea of what we're talking about. Oh, Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Now, in return for the same, I speak as to children. You also be open. Just be open. Be open. Hear what he's saying. Be open. But he says not too open. Be open to the right things, the things that are from the Lord, from those who are investing in you wisely. Be open to that. But do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Verse 14. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? 
you'll notice these things are mutually exclusive. They are diametrically opposed to one another. They, they don't fit together. If your electricity is on, if that's the case, and you walk into a room and you've hit the light switch and you've got light bulbs in and the light comes on and it was pitch black, all of a sudden it's not dark anymore, right? It's pretty straightforward. They, they, they can't exist. They don't exist together. It's either light or it's dark. You know, it's really good for me that things are spelled out this way. But anyway, what communion is light with darkness? It's just, okay, that makes sense. And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said. I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. And do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So, Paul is laying out something for us regarding their affections as people, the things they're connected to as followers of Jesus Christ. And he says, we've spoken openly to you. And we kind of touched base on this in our last study. But Paul said, hey, these are the credentials of our ministry. This is how we do things. This is how we approach things. And he was very clear in laying that out. And he says, hey, we're wide open to you. We're just sharing our hearts with you. And he continues with that thought. We have spoken openly to you. Our heart is open, wide open to you. You are not restricted by us. He says, we're not putting, you know, holds on you saying, hey, don't do this, don't do that. But really what puts those restrictions on us is our own affections, our desires for other things. You know, and we talked about that, how it comes in, you know, the, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things, entering in, and it chokes the word, and we can be unfruitful. You can find that in Mark chapter 4 as he goes out and talks about the sower sows the seed of the word. And there's four different places that it kind of lands and can affect people. We want to be those that take in the word and it bears fruit, much fruit. You're restricted by your own affections. Now in turn, for the same, I speak as to children, you also be open. He says, I affectionately, I have affection as a, as a paternal you know, caretaker for you. I, I have real affection for you. I want to communicate this with you. And he says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, that's pretty graphic in its design by description. Jesus was not confused about what he described. He was describing something very, very specific and something that in an agrarian society they would totally understand and identify with. This is a, a culture and an environment where they live off of the land, farm animals, cultivating their soil, planting seed. All those things just made generally totally perfect sense to all of them. They lived in that kind of a, a mode and a world. And so this idea of this yoke that would be built out and developed, and it was done by, the yoke was built by a master craftsman, not a framer. You know, a framer is somebody gets out there and just, you know, sawing up lumber and cutting it and framing it. You know, just, it's just, you can, you can have gaps in some things. But that's the word that's really described, that someone who manufactures or makes yoke. Jesus was a master craftsman. His father was a master craftsman. They weren't just mere cutting up firewood, you know, carpentry stuff. They weren't just slamming up a shed somewhere in somebody's backyard. They weren't just building a pole barn, all of which are useful and needed. 
All of that was useful and needed, but that's not basically what their forte was. They were master craftsmen. They would have likely probably built this type of thing, a yoke. And they would design, what's interesting about a yoke is they're built in such a way that they're designed to fit the animal in which it goes on. So the animal bearing the yoke is looked at and it's designed to fit on that animal properly, correctly, comfortably. And it is designed in such a way to bring ease to the function of what that animal did. It's not created to be more cumbersome, but it is designed in such a way that causes them to work and function with ease. I challenge you, let's go back very quickly to Matthew and his account in chapter 11, where Paul clearly knows this concept that would have been taught and spoken of by Jesus, and no doubt had this possibly, I would say likely, in mind in speaking this. In verse 28 of chapter 11, Jesus speaking says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, come to me. Our world is heavy laden. Our lives sometimes feel that way. Heavy laden, burdened. And Jesus would always tell you and tell me and the world around, come to me. Come to me. Aren't you glad that you've got a savior, a king, a ruler that says, bid you to come to him? I don't care who you are. I don't care who you think you are. I know that we are to come to him. We're just to simply come to him. I love the, so some of the lyrics of the song that, man, I will humbly bow down. I will bow down in humble adoration. Man, he is God. We are not. <laughs> you know, what a truth. So he says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. I will provide that rest for you. Take my yoke upon you. So Jesus is saying, take that and let's bear it together. Basically, he's saying, link up with me. Connect with me. Get connected to me. You know, it's like what we talked about in a recent study last week, I believe, where we talked about the fact that we are partnering with the Lord. We're linking up together, connecting directly with him. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What are you carrying around? What do I carry around sometimes that I'm just so overloaded with, burdened down by, dragging, and yet did I put that on me? Most likely, because Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It didn't mean that there wasn't things to do for all of us, right? We've got things to do as believers, but it's saying that link up with the Lord and he will work in and through you together, working, serving, doing things. Take that yoke. Be connected to him. My yoke upon you and learn from me. He's gentle and lowly in heart. He's not going to 
connect up with you and then, you know, yank around and drag you around because you're connected to him and slam you up against a wall because he didn't like that and move around. You, you think about that. These farm critters get connected up together like that. You have two oxen. They got to be paired well together, don't they? They got to be paired together and fit. In this illustration, he says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. So what the Bible's declaring, what Paul's saying is there's something that is intrinsically unhealthy, going to be somewhat maybe damaging to us by being connected that way. Now, that can be not only in our boyfriend, girlfriends, our marriage and family things that we're pursuing, that may be our business endeavors. To yoke is to become very connected to someone when you yoke that way. And there's a real danger in being unequally yoked. And that's what we just want to break this down and look at this in the eyes of the scripture today so that we can see, because sometimes we take this stuff and just say, you know, well, I, I just don't get it. I don't see what the big deal is because we just want to do what we want to do. Now, I can't help you. If you want to go out and do what you want to do, you can go out and do what you want to do. All I can share with you is the practicality of this simple truth. Don't be unequally yoked because it can bring a lot of grief and a lot of heartache and a lot of serious, serious difficulty in your life. It is a truth. There's no way to escape it. I understand that people can find this offensive, but it is just simple Bible truth that we need to grab a hold of because, man, you can save yourself and spare yourself a whole lot of grievous nightmares in your life if you embrace this simple truth. Do not be unequally yoked to, with unbelievers. One of the first things I would notice is because we are different. That's one of the main things. We're different. When we've come as a Christian, as you and I have come to know Jesus Christ, our personal Lord and Savior, we have been born again, and now we are different. We see things differently. Now, I'm not saying that you and I don't interact with or work with people that are non-believers. I understand. Paul said, well, what do you think I'm talking about? You have to leave the planet to not interact with non-believers. So he's not talking about that. He's already set that score straight. He's not talking about that. He's talking about being linked up, yoked with, directly connected to in a more intimate way that is going to either be working together or working opposite. That's part of the issue. We have been born again as Christians. We, a believer has a completely different perspective. Hi, this is Pastor Jim. Thanks again for listening to the Bible study today, and I trust that God is speaking to your heart. Oftentimes when we hear God's word, it kind of pricks our hearts and there's a, a, a desire to respond. And I want to give you that opportunity to respond to God today by giving your life to Jesus if you've never given your life to Jesus. And if you want that free gift of salvation, everlasting life, it's yours. All you have to do is pray a simple prayer of faith and maybe you just need to get right with God. Maybe you've walked with God at some point in your life, but you're just not walking with him today and want to get right with him. This is an opportunity for you. You know, many make fun of, of Jesus' second coming, that they're wondering, hey, is Jesus ever going to come back? And they make fun of it. 
kind of asking, where's the promise of his coming? You know, trying to, to act like God's forgotten about us. Well, God's not forgotten about you, me, or, or this world. But the real reality is the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know, that's God's heart, is that we would get to that place of repentance. That means to turn away from something and to begin to follow something else, turning away from our sin and our sinful thoughts and our sinful actions in our lives that are so destructive, and then willingly follow him. That's his desire, that we wouldn't perish, but that we'd have everlasting life. If you'd pray a simple prayer of faith with me right now, right where you are, right whatever's going on in your life, if you just take this brief moment from your heart to pray this prayer and just ask Jesus, Jesus, I want to ask that you would forgive me of all my sin. I know I'm a sinner and I need a Savior, and I want to ask that you would be my personal Lord and Savior, that you'd come into my heart, make my heart your home. And that I would begin this new life, this new journey with you, Jesus. I thank you so much for loving me, and I thank you for forgiving me. I give my life to you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed and received the Lord into your heart today, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us or another Bible teaching church in your area so you may be encouraged in your new journey. If you'd like more information about Living Fountains or Calvary Chapel, Kansas City, simply visit our website at calvarychapelkc.com. If you're in the Kansas City area and you'd like to join us for worship, the service times and directions can be found at calvarychapelkc.com. It's been great spending time with you today in God's Word, and we look forward to you joining us next time on Living Fountain.